Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast, brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week. It's me, Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs. And me, Farmers Guardian news editor Olivia Midgley. We'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or Acast, to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes. This week, we're talking all about livestock worrying. Many of you will no doubt be aware of our Take the Lead campaign, which we launched all the way back in 2014 in response to the rising number of dog attacks on livestock. The campaign has seen us raise awareness of the issue at various events, including dog shows and other public-facing events, as well as on local, regional and national TV and radio. And of course, there's been several print runs of our free red warning signs which you may have seen nailed to fence posts up and down the country. These basically ask people to do the simple thing, which is keep their dogs on a lead whilst they're on farmland, and particularly whilst they're around livestock. And we have seen some great success. A recent Freedom of Information request to UK police forces found the number of attacks had fallen in 2019, with the results chiming with research from rural insurer NFU Mutual, which reported public awareness campaigns like Take the Lead were having an impact on walkers' behaviour. But we know there's still a lot more work to be done. The Mutual has seen incidents spike again since the coronavirus lockdown, attributing this to walkers coming to rural areas who are not necessarily familiar with the countryside and how to behave in it. Jess Fredenberg has been speaking to a farmer who has lost 100 sheep to dog attacks in the last 10 years and a former police officer who, along with Farmer's Guardian, is a member of a parliamentary working group seeking to get the law toughened up on dog attacks. CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk At the beginning of the year, things were looking promising for livestock farmers in terms of dog attacks, with the NFU Mutual saying its claim figures suggested a fall in livestock worrying. But the insurer now says that its initial figures show a 15% increase in attacks since lockdown, possibly due to people travelling to the countryside who might not be so familiar with etiquette. I've been speaking to a former police officer in North Wales, now leading the charge against the issue nationally and working with DEFRA, Farmers Guardian and others to change the law around livestock worrying. But first, I caught up with a sheep farmer in the South Downs to find out what she's experienced and what she thinks needs to change. Hello, my name is Caroline Harriet. I'm fortunate enough to farm on the South, beautiful South Downs with my family. We run a flock of 800 commercial ewes and 60 pedigree texels. Unfortunately, one of the downsides of farming on the South Downs is the fact that we suffer more in this, this area than anywhere throughout the whole of the country with dog attacks. In the last 10 years, we would have approximately 100 sheep attacked, mauled, mutilated and sadly sometimes killed. When did you last have a dog attack? We had a dog attack in February. 
Commercial dog walker was out walking with a couple of children and a friend. They had a number of dogs in excess of six. A couple of dogs got away from the handlers. They ran on in front of the walkers. They got away from them and we. the first thing we knew was when we got a call from a, another walker that had seen our sheep being attacked uh, and pushed into a corner by two dogs who'd got under the gate into the field and savagely attacked three of them with ears ripped off, um, throats pulled out and one was so badly mutilated that the vet had to put it down that evening. That sounds horrific. I can't imagine walking up and, and finding your, your stock like that. It sounds horrible. What has been, I guess, the impact on you personally and on your business? It's your life, uh, your animals, and we're very proud of what we do with farming them. It usually happens in the spring, and the spring is the beautiful time of year when lambs are born, and it's just devastating that you've put a year's work into producing your next year's flock and your crop for the year, and to find that through lack of respect and irresponsibility a lot of the time um, a lot of your hard work in just a flash has been decimated so yes it's it's heartbreaking and it's also you your workforce and yourself spend a lot of time trying to uh, sort your flock back out again when actually you should be doing other jobs so it takes a lot of time mentally it's very wearing and upsetting and it's just unnecessary suffering for the sheep and what, in your experience, tends to happen after the attack? Have you been able to identify the owners, have them prosecuted? Do the police get involved? What, what normally happens? Well, fortunately, in this case, we were very lucky in the fact that we do have some very good dog wardens. We do have some good rural police in the area. And the dog wardens got hold of this dog, the main dog, which was a rescue dog, and took it away. And it has not been given back to the owner. It has been rehomed somewhere where hopefully it's not going to be able to escape. So that was fantastic. The rural police came out and supported us as well. And I managed to get some compensation. But... This often what you'll find is it'll happen overnight. A dog or dogs will have got into a field of sheep. And the first thing you will know is in the morning you've got a mess of either sheep out. Um, they've gone through their electric fencing. You've got ones with, you know, ears torn off or mutilated. And there is no dog in sight. And that is very difficult because, you know, you, you've got financial ruin. Uh, you've got a lot of mess of uh, broken fences, uh, vets bills to sort, and there's nobody there to compensate you. So, and that happened to our next door neighbour in February, and they were in lamb use, and, you know, it was they were just left with an awful mess. And financially, you know, times are very difficult at the moment. So the knock-on effect, if you don't find the dogs, is very, very difficult, which is why we try to educate people with signs and take the lead campaigns with all the local stakeholders and you know we work very hard because unfortunately we we farm on the south downs but we are on the edge of an urban sprawl and there's lots of people general public that quite rightly and it's fantastic they want to come out into the beautiful countryside but unfortunately they just don't realize the damage that a pet 
can do because it's in its genetics dogs are hunting animals and unfortunately you know they may start chasing and having a bit of fun but that fun can soon turn to tragedy and as people come you know out of lockdown more are you starting to see more walkers and how are you feeling about that as as lockdown is eased it is worse in every aspect unfortunately there is so much litter there is so many cars parked in front of where we're trying to run a business there are so many people out walking that actually perhaps don't understand the ways of the countryside and they don't understand that we're trying to professionally run our business on our land which is our working place you know we like to talk to people when we have time, when we run open farm Sundays, when we have private visitors and parties coming across the farm and, you know, we have a pumpkin picking patch. So we love talking to people when we have time. But when we're running our business, it is our business and we wouldn't go into somebody's factory and, you know, drop litter and park in the way. We would respect those people. And I think we just would like people to realise that the countryside is a busy working place. It's a beautiful place. There's many, many footpaths. And we just love it if people came out, enjoyed the countryside, parked sensibly, took their litter home and kept their dogs, their precious dogs, got them trained and disciplined, but most importantly, kept them on a lead because carnage can happen very, very quickly. You mentioned earlier, Caroline, you mentioned a commercial dog walker. Um, who, you know, they often seem to have five or six dogs with them, don't they? Maybe on leads, maybe not on leads. Have you noticed a difference between those people and, more, you know, just dog walkers taking their own dogs out? There's a great gang of commercial dog walkers, um, a really good group, but there's a small minority, as in every walk of life, that unfortunately think that it's OK to run their business not responsibly. And so I would say 50% of our attacks in the last three years have been by commercial dog walkers, which is very sad that there isn't a code of conduct currently in West Sussex for them to have to adhere to because basically they're running their businesses and earning a living across our land, but they're not doing it responsibly. So there's a number of very diverse farmers that want to help solve this problem of dog attacks and one of the ways recently is that they are setting up enclosures on their farms with planning permission to have dogs let loose in fenced enclosures where they can roam free but not cause any damage to livestock and wildlife which is which is just as important um, you know in lockdown the wildlife flourished on the South Downs. And now the lockdown has been gradually, you know, so that people can walk in the countryside. Unfortunately, you know, you see the poor wildlife and the ground nesting birds are suffering just like the dog attacks. So we really hope that these dog enclosures, that the councils will give farmers planning permission, will allow them to run them with a code of conduct so that people with nervous dogs, commercial dog walkers can come enjoy their animals but our animals can be out grazing safely in the fields I mean, that sounds like a really good practical thing that farmers can certainly do themselves but what about I guess the structures the regulations in place that could support farmers more you know what what would you like to see happen whether it's in terms of regulation policing or, or what I would like to see that 
dogs in the countryside have to be kept on a lead. I would like it to be that there are local dog walking enclosures, whether on farms or on council land, so that people can, you know, people do like to let their dogs loose, but it shouldn't be at the, at the expense of farmers. And I would also like to see that then there is, I see um, publicity recently about it. Unfortunately, at the moment, if we get a uh, attack, then we a maximum compensation we can receive is a thousand pounds. Well, you know, when they do a lot of damage to a number of sheep, that really doesn't cover your costs, even your vet bill. So that really needs to uh, be increased. And I think they are talking about five thousand pounds, which would help. You know, because at the end of the day, this is our business. You know, we love doing what we're doing, but we also it has to be viable, and, and we have to earn a living. So those things all together. I mean, I, I don't think we'll be able to make it that everybody has to keep their dog on the lead, but it is a great help from some councils if at lambing time you are allowed to put signs up to say, you know, please, you can either you can't walk across it or you have to keep your dogs on leads because when you're trying to run your business, you need to be able to do it safely for yourselves, your workforce and the livestock and the wildlife just would like to say you know that the the nfu are very supportive of farmers and take the lead campaigns as are a lot of local stakeholders the police the county councils you know our mp has been supporting our take the lead campaign and it's great that the local newspapers the national farming magazines and even you know the national papers now are getting on board with this i think it it needs to be like clunk click put your seatbelt on It, it needs to be when you open the door, get your lead, take your dog out. It needs to become that, you know, when you get in a car now, you put your seatbelt on. Well, when you take your dog for a walk, put it on a lead. Thanks to Caroline Harriet there for sharing her story with us. You're still ploughing on, and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com slash subscriptions today. Now, what does the law around dog attacks say and does it need changing? I spoke to former police officer Rob Taylor, who was awarded the Queen's Police Medal in 2016 for his work in tackling rural crime. Rob has been working with DEFRA and Farmers Guardian to change the law around livestock worrying. I've been with North Wales Police now 34 years. I'm currently the North Wales Police Rural Crime Team Manager, but also as part of my role, I hold the portfolio for the National Police Chiefs Council Chair for Livestock Offences, which in the main is livestock attacks by dogs and also livestock theft. Rob, you've been collecting data on dog attacks across the country. What do the figures tell us? The figures have been quite startling, to be honest. We've collected data since 2013 and we're the first force to do so in the UK because there's no requirement from the Home Office previously for police forces to collect this data. So it was an unknown quantity. So we've been collecting them for the last seven years and we've got some really, really accurate statistics now. And the data in the main has shown pretty much in North Wales alone in excess of over 100 attacks by instance by dogs on livestock per year that has pretty much last year uh, reduced by nearly 50%. But we're not sure at this present time whether that's a a one-off spike or that is a downward trend that we're hoping we can continue in the future. 
And Rob, I know you've been working with DEFRA and Farmers Guardian and others to change the law around dog attacks. Why is the Protection of Livestock Act not fit for purpose as it stands? I think the simple answer to that is that this was a 1953 act that was uh, brought into being shortly after the Second World War. Before that, there'd been uh, an act that was the late 18th century act. And uh, so to cut it short, like I said, is that in the main, it was probably fit for 1953, but it's certainly not fit for 2020. And there are a lot of deficiencies in this act that, you know, as time has moved on considerably over over the years, it just doesn't fit for what we need in this day and age. What are the key holes then, as you, as you see it in the Act? You know, there's some pretty obvious ones, such as uh, DNA, of course. DNA did exist then, but we didn't have the knowledge to extract it. So that power was never put in place in the 1953 Act. So police officers investigating livestock attacks at this time don't have the power to obtain DNA. So a lot of attacks that we have go unwitnessed because they, they usually occur in fields without CCTV or witnesses. So to have the ability to actually take a swab from the sheep and also take a, a swab from a, a dog, a suspect dog, would prove the offence straight away. Now, we don't have that power. Of course, the farm would let us swab the sheep. However, an owner simply has to say, no, you're not taking a, a, a sample from my dog. And that that is it. We don't have the power to take it from a suspect dog. So at that point, the case would actually just fall short and we couldn't progress it anymore. If we have that power, it will make a massive difference to be able to prove more offences and bring more people to justice. And what about fines? Because obviously the maximum fine at the moment is just a thousand pounds isn't it is is that enough of a deterrent no it's not really that that's also part of it as well as many factors we're looking at it but you know we had a case in anglesey some years back where a farmer lost uh, several cows that were attacked by two alsatian dogs and and that farmer lost twenty two thousand pounds in in one single case and you know i've seen cases in here in north wales and up and down the country where farmers have lost many many sheep you know i think there was one case down south of england where i think it was in excess of a hundred sheep killed in one attack you know the cost Gosh. of losing that is massive that's horrific so, uh, yeah it's absolutely horrific and if you look at you know 120 attacks per year in north wales and that's pretty much it's not north wales we're not unique we've proved that this is reflected throughout the country in, in rural areas as well you know north yorkshire have got similar stats to us devon and cornwall similar stats so the deterrent fine is is not enough to be honest and people and farmers are losing breeding lines and you know they're putting themselves at risk of actually possibly going out of business and it can have a huge impact both financially and mentally on a farmer so we think the fine certainly is not enough at this present time. What do you think would be enough of a deterrent whether it's a fine or anything else? I think some of the the acts that need to come into play here to make a change and make the deterrent factor are the fine, but we also need to include things such as llamas and alpacas, which aren't included at the present time. Uh, Interestingly, I'd like to see as well, similar to a car accident, that if your dog attacks a sheep, you have to report it within 24 hours because what we find is that, you know, you can find a sheep that's possibly been in a field for two to three days with very, very severe injuries. You know, we can all imagine, and we've all seen it, the type of injuries we're looking at, but we can, we're talking about limbs missing or internal organs hanging out and these sheep can be in distress for a number of days so I think in the interest of animal welfare we'd like to see it brought in that people have to report so if their dog 
does an attack, they have to report it. If they don't, and they're then found to be guilty of the offence, that would be an additional offence. So that is one of the other deterrents we'd like to see brought into play. Uh, and also where attacks occur, because at the moment it has to be on agricultural land. Uh, so if a farmer is moving sheep between two fields and across a public road and an attack happens, there's no offence there. So as you can see, there's lots of holes in the Act at the present time. And, and we want to firm this all up and bring it into one. And also bring in banning orders. So if somebody has an attack, uh, other dog does numerous attacks, you know, they're disqualified from keeping dogs or animals, you know. So there's many, many places you want to bring in, into, into play. And uh, we have substantial backing from... A lot of influential people, including the Welsh Government and also Parliament uh, in London and DEFRA. So uh, it's gaining momentum and we are starting to make some significant headway. And I feel like quite a few people that you speak to about this, they often say, you know, we just want walkers to, to keep their dogs on a lead. But is that going to solve the problem? Uh, you know, is the problem coming mostly from dogs out on walks? No, you know what, this is such an interesting part of the subject. And I find it quite fascinating that... When you initially think of this problem, you do identify straight away that, you know, it's dogs on leads. And that's the message that's been hammered home for years and years and years. Every single poster I've seen, every campaign has always been keep your dog on a lead. However, the bare facts of our research integrating the other forces throughout the UK and the work that we've done is we found that nearly 80% of attacks are dogs that escape from homes. So actually... Uh, focusing on keeping dogs on leads yet yeah, it is part of the problem but it's only 20 percent of the problem the main issue we have is people buying dogs being irresponsible owners and allowing those dogs to probably either escape or not have sufficient boundaries or they go to work during the day and the dog gets out during the day it does a kill it comes back to the premises the owner arrives home and is none the wiser the dog's done an attack so this is one of the main problems we're seeing and and the focus that we're trying to shift the campaign through to now is actually responsible dog ownership, not keep your dog on a lead. And of course, we all know as well that keep your dog on a lead is probably not the best advice if you've got a herd of cattle stampeding towards you. So, you know, it's it's not always accurate that as well. So we're trying to broaden the message that we can put out there uh, to the public. And it really is around responsible dog ownership. So there's a, it sounds like there's a real educational element there. You know, when you get called out to a dog attack in your experience you know what what reaction do you get from the owner and and is it is they just they just don't understand what's happened they can't believe that that animal has done this or what what kind of is that the root of it that's a great question you know and everyone's different but in the main that the owner some of them are ignorant to the fact some of them don't care but I would say the majority uh, are quite horrified, really. And I think in the main, going back to the 80% escapes, I think in the main it is the escape one. You know, one I had a couple of years ago that I was, I don't know whether the word's fortunate or unfortunate to go along to, was, you know, it was a, a male, a, a gentleman. He'd uh, split from his wife and he was in the house with his child. They had a dog in the family that was 10 years old, which they'd had from a puppy and it was a member of the family and the child was going to school and sadly the dog escaped uh, went past him and went missing for several hours and in that several hours that dog mutilated and killed several sheep so you can imagine that you know it's difficult to point fingers isn't it yeah that it was an offense and it was committed by that dog via that owner but you know the majority uh, those ones where the person's absolutely really gutted that the dog A has done the attack and sadly in that occasion that dog was euthanized as well so you know it's not always straightforward it's not always a willingness to leave your dog off the lead and be and you know do the wrong thing that sounds yeah really sad from everybody's perspective a situation like that what rights do farmers have you know if if there is a dog attack what are their rights well, if there's no other option, and it has to be the last resort, you know, it's not just a free-for-all to shoot dogs in the fields. If there's a fear of the dog attacking sheep or 
is about to attack sheep, uh, the farmer does have the right to shoot that dog uh, as long as the owner is not present. Uh, and it has to be a last resort because in the end of the day, the dog ha actually has protection under the 2006 well Animal Welfare Act, but it is actually a defence, so the farmer can actually use it as a defence as a last resort. And it, do you know what? Every single farmer that I've ever spoke to that's uh, actually had to take this course of action is really gutted because, you know, the farmers, it's the last thing they want to do is have to shoot somebody's animal, you know, but they can do it and they have to report to the police in 48 hours and that's really the criteria for it. And is there anything that they should be looking for in, in terms of possible evidence or anything like that before the police turn up? What kind of information should they be trying to collect? I mean, if if there has been an attack and there's a car nearby, of course, you know, obtain the registration number of the car because once the person has left the scene, it makes it far more difficult for us to trace because CCTV in the countryside is very rare, as we know. Uh, so that's one of the main ones. I would also say, you know, preserve the evidence. So, you know, don't let anybody else near it and keep the sheep in the position that it's in so we can go and maybe obtain footprints or anything else we can get from the scene, you know, and don't destroy evidence. Then call the police. And if you're lucky enough to have a designated rural crime team, uh, you'll certainly get, similar to one of my team, a professional officer who knows the core business and is very good at what they do and will give you a first-class service. And Rob, I mean, I'm looking at um, figures here for your, your patch, North Wales, that there were 129 dog attacks in 2018, but 49 last year. I mean, that's that's a huge drop. What What do you put that down to? Do you know what? I think I put it down to the fact that we've been doing it so long and we we keep banging the drum. You know, it's uh, it's been a difficult road. We've done a lot of work in regards to this. Uh, I've already highlighted the work legally we're doing, but also a lot of training work as well. Uh, we've been instrumental on putting information videos on YouTube. We do a lot on social media, both on Twitter and, and Facebook, you know, uh, and we also... We highlight the offences by doing live investigations on there, you know, and showing us on the route, uh, investigating it, speaking to the farmer and then investigating, trying to find the dog as well. And that's been very impactive as well. We've also done a lot with local art colleges to prepare uh, posters for us as well. And, and then we've done a lot of education to other forces around the UK. So I would like to think that that dramatic drop, and it is a dramatic drop, is down to the hard work that we're putting in. But I am also very aware that it could be a one-off spike. And I think... Once we get the stats for 2020, that will give me a clearer view of where we're going with this. And I would like to think, and it does look like that way so far, that I think we're on course again for a figure around the 50 mark as well. And if we can achieve that, it just shows that the work we're doing is really working. Thanks for that report, Jez. Toughening up the law around dog attacks on livestock is something that Farmers Guardian's been pushing for for quite some time as part of its Take the Lead campaign. And in 2017, as part of the working group convened by the all-party parliamentary group for animal welfare, which included Rob Taylor of North Wales Police, who you've just heard from there, an idea was put forward by the CLA to enable farmers and landowners to temporarily divert a right-of-way, for example, at calving or lambing time, when walkers and the dogs pose a heightened risk to businesses. I'm now joined by Sophie Dwerryhouse, who's the National Access Advisor at the CLA. And Sophie, I know especially at the moment, some farmers are really at the wit's end with people acting irresponsibly on farmland and diverting a footpath might seem very attractive to them. How, what, what does it entail and how easy is it to do? So unfortunately, it's not that straightforward. There is no guarantee. It's a discretionary power that the Highways Authority have. And there are certain tests that have to be met in order that you get a, dis a diversion order uh, completed and, and successfully. So 
the CLA have been looking at different options available. And what we were really pleased to hear last week from DEFRA's head of access is that they've appointed Alistair Locke, who will resume the public right-of-way reform project. Now, what we'll, this means is that stakeholders are expecting to hear soon when, when we'll be meeting. It's exciting and positive news for land managers and for user groups, walkers and, and riders, because it'll implement proposals from the Stepping Forward report and measures in the Deregulation Act that have been talked about for quite a long time. So in brief, that'll give a presumption for diverting paths out of gardens, farmyards, for the safety and, and security and privacy. And it'll also give a right to apply, which gives landowners the ability to require authorities to consider applications for diversions and extinguishing paths and, and take to appeal if there are objections. Now, further to that, we've been looking at options, particularly in re regard to livestock and safety issues. And obviously this is a very serious and topical subject at the moment after the devastating news at the weekend of, of a death of a walker. So we've drafted a proposed addition to the Highways Act, which would allow farmers to temporarily divert public rights of way. And we're working with the NFU in conjunction with the Health and Safety Executive and, and consulting with other stakeholders, as we see this as a solution to enhance public safety for members of the public using public rights of way, but with adequate safeguards for the network in order that it is successful. So with that, they'd need to offer an alternative, it would have to be a like-for-like -like route, if not better, clearly signed and on the same holding. So we're not looking for a wholesale change to public rights of way. It's about safety, keeping people safe, and we see it as the minimum possible. For example, some farmers have got rights of way across every field on their holding. It might be that they can just divert one crossfield path around the edge of a field. So it really, it would be a small change, but make a huge difference. And and Sophie, that, that does sound like it would be so welcome to a, to a lot of farmers and landowners. It, it does seem that since the lockdowns eased, you know, there's been a bit of a free for all in rural areas. And, and while of course we want to welcome visitors, we, we want them to do so safely and responsibly. What's going wrong? Is it simply a lack of education or a more of a, a lack of respect? It does seem, talking to landowners, farmers and user groups, that the countryside code seems to have skipped a generation. We're encouraging our members to make it as easy as possible for visitors to behave responsibly. For example, that their furniture is in good working order, that styles and gates and signage is clear pathways have got clear of overhanging vegetation etc but there does seem to be as you say a free-for-all we're seeing bar barbecues being left and fires started litter dogs being off leads children playing on farm machinery so we're really keen to, and very pleased that so many people are getting out into the countryside we definitely want to encourage that but we really would like to see it respected and keep everybody safe at the same time. Do you think it's a lack of education in, in terms of how to behave in the countryside? You know, do, do you think that the countryside code should be taught in school? I think that would be a fantastic start. Education is the way forward. And the old 
adage prevention's better than cure it allows everybody to, to enjoy it we've got to remember it's a working environment so whilst we're all getting out there and enjoying it particularly after being cooped up with lockdown there are obviously the uh, the issues that, are, that come with that as sophie says uh, getting the countryside code back on the curriculum would be a great place to start we'll continue to fight to get the law changed on dog attacks and our Take the Lead campaign will continue to spread the message amongst the general public. It's amazing to think that the Take the Lead campaign, which has been often imitated over the past six years, has had a massive impact and came from an incident when I was walking in Scotland and saw somebody's dog chasing some sheep and just thought that they need to take the lead. It's had huge resonance and we've handed out more than 70,000 of the red gate post signs over the past six years so if you'd like yours please get in touch and for more information you can go to fginsight.com forward slash take the lead well that's it for this week and thank you for joining us don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to keep notified of the new episodes of over the farm gate we'll be back as ever next tuesday but from us at farmers guardian and the team at the CLA. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye for now.